don't take no mess at the rose garden. Jesus, they're on fire. They're what we desire. The men in black can handle it. Other teams can scrabble it. How they win that game today. There's just one thing you can say. How does Scotty shoot that three? Believe it, it ain't easy. How did Brian jump so sweet? Believe it, it ain't easy. It's the flying dot that's in your lap. As Damon takes it to the wreck. How the world did they do that? Welcome back to the Rose Garden Report Podcast. I'm Sean Pike, the author of the Rose Garden Report newsletter, which you can subscribe to at rosegardenreport.com. Free and paid subscriptions are available. The podcast, as always, is a part of the Odyssey family. You can find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, any of that stuff. It's all there. So go subscribe, like, rate, review, do all the things you usually do with uh, podcasts. Really, really good episode for you today. I talked to Howard Back, who, you know, is a friend of mine for about 10 years at this point, but, you know, you, I'm sure you guys all know him from all over the place. We used to be colleagues at Bleacher Report. He was with the New York Times. He was with Sports Illustrated. Most recently, he's written for GQ. Uh, you know, just, you know, one of the most respected longtime national NBA writers out there. And, you know, just a, a guy that I've always, I always like getting, you know, a national perspective on stuff from. And I wanted to bring him on. We do talk about the Dane stuff. There's not any, like, you know crazy new ground it's a lot of the same stuff usually that we talk about with the dame stuff but howard you know howard knows a lot of people in the league and you know has good perspective on how all this stuff might land but the real reason i wanted to get him on was i just was recently reminded that back in the fall of 2021 he wrote what might have been the first national profile of scoot henderson back when he was with sports illustrated right at the beginning of his first season with the G League Ignite. So this was before, you know, the, the games against Wemby last year when he really kind of got onto everybody's radar nationally or, you know, became kind of like a household name as like the second guy in the draft. But like when he had first signed his two-year deal with the G League Ignite, which was kind of an unprecedented thing at the time. And, you know, Howard caught him at kind of at that time and spent a lot of time with him and with his family and got to know like that whole group very well. And, I, you know, I'll put, I'll put the link to the story back in the show notes so you can go, you know, check that out if you missed it at the time or you want to go back and revisit it. But Howard and I talked quite a bit about, you know, his impressions of spending time with Scoot and his family back at that point in his life and his career. And we get some good stuff on that, and then we transition into the Dame stuff. And that's about what there is right now to talk about in Blazer World right now. I mean, yesterday the Rip City remix, the G League team just – released their inaugural schedule for their first season so that's something you can go check out if that kind of thing interests you and you want to go to some games uh but other than that uh this is a great conversation that i just had with howard beck runs about an hour so uh go check that out let's get to it right now so i guess i could say what up back here but i feel like that's kind of you and zach's thing so i don't even know how much i want to step on it so i guess i guess howard how are you doing that's fine. You can just, how are you? Hello. Anything Hola. but that. <laughs> I, I was just in Costa Rica for, for several days. If you wanted to hit me with a buena, uh, buena this, that, that would be okay, fine. Uh, yeah, I, there's, yeah. There's my uh, bad Spanish. Um, no, good to see you, Sean. Um, but I, as I have tried to explain to many people uh, in recent years, uh, Zach says, the what up back thing is it's like it's like open source it's 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 uh-huh. for everybody there's no there's no uh there's no charges there's no fees there's no uh, it's just it's for everybody to use if they feel comfortable with it and as far as i'm concerned people can just say whatever they want so it just feel, i 
I know Zach has said that, but it just like, it's so associated with him at this point that like it feels like tr as somebody else saying it, it feels like it's kind of like clout chasing or like coattail riding or something. So anyway, Howard, so I I wanted to have you on for you know we'll get to the Dame stuff obviously because that's the thing there is to talk about. But I heard you on another podcast yesterday that kind of jogged my memory that you actually might have written back in 2021 at Sports Illustrated. We'll put the link in the show notes, but you might have written the first national profile of Scoot Henderson back before anybody really knew who he was. Like, I think most of the real hype around him started this past fall, like about a year ago when he played the exhibition game with, there was the G League Ignite against Wemby's French team. And that's when people kind of started really talking about him. You wrote about him and spent some time with him a year before that. So let me ask you this. How did he first come onto your radar? Oh, so the funny thing is that, so I, I did do a, a huge, I don't know, 3,500 or so plus word uh, feature on Scoot Henderson for Sports Illustrated in the fall of 2021. Mm -hmm. um, a couple months before that, actually, uh, my buddy Jonathan Abrams had profiled Scoot on the day that Scoot declared he was going to do the G League Ignite route and skip his senior year of high school. So, um, and that was in the New York Times, of course, uh, wow. that, that Jonathan wrote it. So there was... The, the, I think where it got on, where Scoop became on my radar was Jonathan's story in the Times in maybe the spring, I think, of 2021. Um, and then I connected with some people who were working with, with him and his family. Um, and we set up this deeper dive feature where, yeah, I spent a ton of time. Um, I went down to Marietta, Georgia, where the Hendersons live and visited them in their home um, and also at the family-owned gym Uh that's, uh, you know, a short drive away from there. Spent a couple of days in Marietta, spent a ton of time with Scoot, with um, his parents, several of his siblings. Uh, there, there are many. Uh, that you, Big you will, family. You will, you will hear about the, the Henderson Seven often because it's, it's the seven uh, yeah. siblings. Um, they are all absolutely wonderful. Reporting this story was one of the great joys of doing this story. You know, as we all say in this business, like writing is torture, right? It just doesn't matter totally. how long you've been doing this, writing is torture. Um, but uh, you know, the interview process for a story, depending on who you're writing about and what the subject is and where it takes you, is often the most enjoyable part. And that was certainly the case with Scoot and his family, because the way I saw it in 2021, and as you noted, this is way, way before he's really on everyone's radar. He hasn't, he has yet to play a game for the Ignite. This is the summer of 2021. He's a few months away from moving from Georgia to Walnut Creek, California, in the Bay Area, where he's going to play for the Ignite. Here he is. He's he's 17 years old at the time. He's going to be one of the youngest ever to turn pro. He's skipping his senior year of high school. He's graduated early with a 3.5 GPA. He you know accelerated his studies so that he could do this. He's made this this dramatic. Um, an unprecedented move. And so I'm meeting with him in late June, early July in Georgia. And then I visited him again when he did move to Walnut Creek in September to go kind of catch up and, and get a sense of what it was like to, to see Scoot in that environment in this very uh, blase apartment complex across the street from a target in, in where <laughs> in downtown Walnut Creek, whatever downtown Walnut Creek really uh is well, he's a very nice, nice little community, by the way. And but it's just it, it. There's nothing distinctive, and he's and he's and he's three thousand miles from home, basically. Um, 
But and he's complaining already about the art on the walls being just like the pre, you know, put in stuff. That was the lead of the story. And, I, <laughs> and I'd seen his his childhood bedroom, right? I'd visited his home, so I saw like he had his walls all decked out, and, you know, posters and inspirational words and and this and that and just a lot more color. And yeah, he's now in this very corporate looking apartment in this just basic apartment complex on a on a whatever main street or something in Walnut Creek. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, he's, he's saying like, yeah, I got like, I got to get some stuff up on the walls and whatever, try to make it feel more homey. Like here he's like, yeah, and he's 17 years old and he's, he's away from everybody um, that he, you know, his family, his friends, everybody. It was a very, it's a bold move. It was a bold move. And um, so, yeah, that was, that was my initial introduction to Scoot and to uh, his, his family was just spending that time with them down in Georgia and, and, talking about the whole process, the decision to, to turn pro, the decision to make it the G League Ignite, decision to skip his senior year of high school, um, you know, all, all, all of that. And, and, and I think one of the things that struck me right off the bat was like, this wasn't just Scoot making this decision. It was, it was the family. They do everything. It's a very tight-knit family. It's a big family, and they're, but they're very tight-knit. And they, they discuss and debate and wrangle over everything and so his decision was their decision and right up to to right up including the fact that when he moved his brother cj was going to come with him uh to to be kind of uh you know a support on, on various levels and live with him and then his mom crystal and a couple other siblings were going to live in a house up the road so that the the, the hendersons for the first time were going to be kind of split between marietta and and uh and walnut creek so all, all of that to me was just really fascinating um and just endearing the way the family kind of operated well you caught him also at a really interesting time because there have been a there have been a few big scoot profiles now that have been written and in some cases i've had the writers of those profiles on the show i you know our mutual friend and former br colleague Mirren fader profiled him last fall like right after the games against Wemby, where he first started blowing up and getting on people's radars and then like a month or two ago, I had Robbie Callen from Up Rocks on who wrote about him right after the end of this past Ignite season while he was preparing for the draft process. But this time that you caught him, it was kind of, A, he was like in the middle of making this transition from, you know, being this hot high school prospect in Georgia to playing against professionals. But it was also just kind of an interesting time for the decision that he made because and as you you know you go into a lot of this in the story and you know you detail a lot of kind of how the landscape was shifting it used to be just you know okay the top prospect you know the, the top high school players you're going to go to one of the big schools like duke or kentucky or whatever play there for one year so that you meet the age limit be one and done go to the draft but then you know you you you, you talk about how he turned down an offer from a team in China when he was like 16 or like overtime elite made him an offer. And this was also like at the same time that NIL uh, started really becoming a thing in college where there's maybe more money to be made there as opposed to it being more of an under the table thing before. But what he did was kind of unprecedented, especially at the time because there had been, you know, th this was the fall of 21. And so the 21 draft, you know, you had Jalen Green go number two overall. And then you had Jonathan Kaminga also go in the top 10 in that draft. So, it comes, so, like, there was already a little bit of proof of, like, guys could go to the G League Ignite and then be a lottery pick. But nobody had done it the way he had done it yet, where he was doing, uh, you know, a two-year deal. And he was committing to spending two years playing in the G League. And 
I'm kind of curious to know what your kind of impressions of that going into meeting him were. And then like when you came away from it thinking like, okay, how's this going to work? It's funny because, you know, we always see this through our own um, prism, our own values in a way. And all I could think when I first uh, just knew of Scoot as a, as a name and a, and a player who was going to make this jump was, man, I couldn't do that if I, when I was 17. I wouldn't skip my senior <laughs> no, year totally of high school. No. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Looking back, if I even really liked high school, to be honest. But, uh, you know, like it was it was fine. It was a mixed bag. But I don't think I would have been bold enough, no matter what my particular talents uh, might have been or not. Um, skipping your senior year of high school and then moving 3000 miles away is a is a that's a big deal. That's a big leap for for a young person. And so part of what struck me in the decision that he made and then in going down and meeting Scoot and his family was he is mature beyond his years. Like this wasn't, you know, for, for me, it would have been a big, like, you know, scary thing. It, it didn't, it, for him, it was just, no, this is the next logical thing. This is the right thing. This is to him. It was, it was like, it was almost obvious. Of course. And he I'm felt like he was this. ready for it. Yeah. And I'm saying like, Oh, but you're going to miss, you know, whatever your senior prom homecoming, whatever. And he's like, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. He's like, and, and he's, you know, he's a, he's a pretty reserved kid, or at least he was, at that time, again, we're talking now two years ago, and I'm, I'm sure like anybody from 17 to 19, you know, there's a lot of growth in that time, um, personally, professionally, otherwise. But he was he was a really reserved kid, um, and but but he has this, this this quiet confidence off the court. On the court, there's no there's no quiet about right. it, right? You see it. The, the 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 audacity in his game is 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 apparent. But off the court, he's he's really low key, and he's not this big personality is going to fill the room. A lot of his siblings are big personalities who fill the room. And you can kind of see it's fun to watch family dynamics that way, right? Like in certain families, there are the people, there are the, the kids who are more outspoken and the ones who maybe are more the wallflowers and partially because their siblings are already so outspoken, right? You find your place in the pecking order. And, um, and, and Scoot, um, pretty, pretty reserved, but there was no uh, doubt about the decision he made. Like to him, it was, I have a goal. My goal is to play in the NBA. My goal is to be a star in the NBA. He already knows he has the talent. He already has been dominant uh, in, 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 at the high school level, and he's being recruited by major universities. And as you noted, he had an offer from China, and he could have gone overseas, and he could have gone to overtime elite. And to him, it was, well, what's the best path to the NBA? And to him, the decision was, well, it's the G League Ignite. They're NBA-affiliated. I'm going to have, be you know, surrounded by, by uh, players, some of whom are, are also uh, you know, young prospects who don't want to go the college route, but who are a year older than him. Um, some, you know, they always have some veterans on the, the team as well, guys who have maybe played in the NBA or played in the G League for multiple years. To him, awesome. that was the best incubator. And it allowed him to stay, of course, in the U.S. as well. And Overtime Elite was brand new then too. So maybe you know, this, this felt like a little bit more, there was more of a track record with the G League by then than, than with OTE. And so, um, but I, I, yeah, I was really struck by, by how confident he was in his decision. He knew exactly what he was doing, the, the why, the how. And, and when I'm asking about, well, what about, you know, the things you miss out on even academically? He's like, you know, he, he did accelerate and graduated early with, again, with a 3.5 GPA, but also he was, he was the one explaining to me, oh, well, part of the G League Ignite program is there are these classes and in life skills and personal finance and, and this and that. And so he was, he was very much interested in and, and valued the idea that he needs to prepare for life 
as well. Um, and that this was not just a decision to go play for a particular league, but that there was a holistic approach that, again, he and, and his family, I think, really appreciated. But, um, but yeah, I, it, it's just, just, just really super confident. Um, and I, I'm always admired guy, people like that who just know, especially from a young age, exactly what they want and how they want to get there. And then are willing to actually put because that's the thing you hear about Scoot is also just like he puts in the work. You know, you 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 say that in his you know in the story you talk to Jason Hart, his coach. One thing I thought was interesting that you brought up in the story, also just on the subject of the decisions that you know the, the decision between you know going to college or going to one of these other places. You you bring up that a couple of his sisters played in college. And had knee injuries, and then they kind of saw, you know, once these once these girls were injured and were not like, uh, you know, get, probably going to be you know able to go pro because of those injuries or whatever else, that the system just kind of discarded them. And I think you know it, you made it sound like Scoot kind of looked at that and was like, yeah, I don't know, even even though like you know I'm a five star recruit, I could go to these, you know, I could probably still get drafted. This is probably not the route that I want to go because I saw how that system kind of did other members of my family. I thought that was real interesting. Yeah. So um, three of his older sisters, uh, Diamond, China, and Onyx, uh, all had career altering or career ending uh, knee injuries while they were playing in college. And, you know, I spoke to each of them. I, I spoke to, uh, you know, almost the entire family in the course of reporting that story. Um, and and they, you know, they were really passionate on on that topic, like that. The NCAA just kind of chews you up and spits you out. They're not there for you. They're not if you if you get hurt. And you're no longer useful to the college you're playing for. That's it. it. It it's it's over for you. And so, I don't know if that was the most important factor or consideration as the family discussed where he would go and and what route to choose. Uh, but it was absolutely a really important one. And and NIL, if you look back, it was like I think it was like July 1st of 2021 that NIL basically came to be officially. Um, I was there in their home when that happened. And so it was really interesting. It underscored it. And I think it, one of his siblings even had said to me at one point, one of his sisters had said like, you know, that, that like part of this is Scoot. Scoot is like, and it and obviously it's not just Scoot, but Scoot and others who have taken these alternate routes was pushing the NCAA uh, in this direction, was pushing policy in this direction because you're losing talent if you're not giving them any uh, means to make money while they are, um, you know, in, in, in preparation for, for their professional careers. And so the colleges were going to lose out, especially, you know, with basketball players choosing all these different routes. Um, but yeah, the, the, the family's experience with the NCAA certainly, I think, left them a bit jaded about the way that the college system uh, uses and discards talent. Did you stay in touch with them, with him or with the family after the story came out? Uh, a little bit. Um, you know, Scoot was uh, kind of recruited by the NBA to do some um, draft, uh, I think some NBA TV work maybe, and some other stuff with the NBA in sure. 2022. So again, he's now one year removed from when he will be draft eligible. And they brought him to New York to kind of make the rounds, do some promotion and and, and do some, I think, some on-camera stuff. Uh -huh. And so uh, I caught up with him again, did a podcast with him, um, and, uh, just, just to kind of, you know, one year later catch up, this was June was of 2022. Still at, was this still at SI? 
Yes, this is while okay. I was still at Sports Illustrated. I have to go back and listen. To yeah, that. so that would be on the, on the crossover podcast. Okay. Um, and uh, so I chatted with him and, and saw uh, Crystal, his mom, again um, during uh, during that week when they were back here uh, in New York. Um, and then since then, not much, but uh, on draft night, because again, I live in Brooklyn. The draft is in my backyard at Barclays Center. Um, and uh, I wasn't working on anything in particular that night, but I wanted to kind of poke around the draft and just see some people and, and say hello to folks and, and, and whatever. Um, and so I, I popped into Scoot's press conference after he, you know, had been, been uh, drafted and, you know, they, they shuttle everybody to their particular press conference rooms. And um, when I got the microphone and asked him a question, I think about the whole awkwardness at that moment of did he say what up back <laughs> he did not I, I don't think he's aware of that particular uh, feature of, of uh, uh, NBA media um, but I asked I did ask him something about the whole awkwardness of, of the Blazer situation are you expecting to go and play with Damian Lillard this is before mm-hmm. Dames uh, made his his request slash demand slash whatever right. it is um, and when Scoot saw me like I was just broke his big smile. He's like, Oh my guy, what's up? Whatever. It was, it was really, it was, it was very cool. It was very endearing. It was, it was nice. Uh, just kind of see that moment of recognition. And then, uh-huh. um, and I hadn't seen him in a year at that point. Cause I, I was not at those games against Wembenyama in Vegas. Um, so I literally had not seen him since we did the podcast one year prior to that. Uh, and then when he came out of the press conference, I caught up with him in the hallway briefly just to, you know, say hello, wish him well, congratulate him and that kind of thing. But, but that's, you know, that's, that's the kind of, you know, person he is like, he's, I think he really appreciated how much time I spent trying to get to know him and his family and visiting them with them in Georgia. And, um, that I, you know, sought him out for the podcast, you know, a year later that I sought him out on draft night. Like he's somebody who appreciates, I think those just kind of simple human, you know, uh, gestures and, um, so that was, that was kind of a, a fun moment there. And, you know, now I, I can't wait to see him actually play in NBA games. Um, there's, there's something I always say, like, I've been doing this for a long time, as you know, and, and, you know, uh, you know, covered the Lakers for a long time, covered the Knicks for a long time, you know, been, last 10 years, been more of a national writer, but, um, you get to know players over time in the NBA. And by the time they get to the NBA, they're, you know, fairly polished for the most part, and especially once they, they reach stardom, you know, there's a certain amount of just kind of, they know the routine and they're a little jaded and maybe a little bit controlled, whatever. I don't usually meet guys on the way up. And I always say, I've got no emotional investment in this job, right? I don't root for players. I don't root for teams. I don't root sure. for anybody. I root for good stories. I, right. I, I just cover the league. Um, but there's a human element here where when you get to know somebody, and especially if you were fortunate enough in this case to get to know somebody before he actually hit the spotlight, before Scoot became Scoot, um, you find yourself, you know, having a little bit more of almost a little personal investment, right? Like I, I, I really enjoyed getting to know him and his family, and as a, and and really liked them a lot. Just very much enjoyed my time with them. So yeah, there is some part of me now that is is I'm watching Scoot more closely than I will watch Brandon Miller, right? Right. Um, or even than Wembenyama on some level. I've never met Wembenyama. I don't know him at all. Um, and I, you know, I don't really truly know Scoot, right? You know, it was a few days of time that we spent uh, hanging out and chatting for that story, but um, he's very easy to root for. And I think that's what your listeners are going to find as they get to know him and watch him. Yes, he's he's an explosive athlete. Yes, he's he's supremely confident. He's strong. He's got just I think a great head for the game. 
And he's got all the requisite intangibles that you want, right? Um, I've seen plenty of, of great talents come and go who maybe never quite lived up to the hype, who were other high picks. And the difference can come down to all kinds of things. And sometimes it's just luck, right? The, the circumstances or health or injuries, all these things. But a lot of times it's just about whether guys really truly love the game. It is the biggest separator. We heard this twice earlier this year. DeMar DeRozan on his podcast and Pat Beverly once on his podcast where they both flagged this very thing where they as players are saying this. Forget whether I as a media person says it. They as players are saying not everybody loves the game. And not everybody loves it at the same level. Not everybody has the same passion for the game. And so that's what I often find myself looking for is like, does you know all right here's all these talented players well what's the difference between the two guys in the lottery who really make it and the eight or so who are just kind of hanging out have decent careers or maybe wash out it it often really is love for the game and passion for the game and scoot has that so as your as your listeners as blazers fans are getting to know him i think that's what they're going to love the most you know like i don't want to compare him to to dame and it, and it really is such a, an awkward thing where it's like you were you're you're saying goodbye sometime soon probably think we think maybe kind of sort of we'll probably that, but yeah <laughs> um, and and he's a franchise legend and an NBA legend and an all timer but I think they're gonna find it's very easy to, to gravitate toward and embrace Scoot because he he brings all the right things to the table it's the right value system you know um, he he, just, he came up in a family where. You, like like working hard and 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 doing doing you know living up to your responsibilities you're you're, you're just being accountable um you could see it like, again even in the short time i spent with them you could see how they hold each other accountable and how they look after each other and i think scoot just the way he's wired his upbringing and and just this true passion for the game he, he he's another one of these guys who came up on kobe and admires Kobe um, to to the degree where you, he sometimes sounded when I was talking to him he sometimes sounded like Kobe the way he talked about <laughs> wanting to embrace the grind and this kind of stuff right um, you're, the, the Blazers fans are going to love all that about him like you know I I would never try to project what a guy's going to become I'm not I'm not a scout I'm not going to tell you that a guy's going to be a ten time All Star or an MVP or a champion or anything but I I, I think I know people and I, I I like the sense I have of him is that he's the real deal when it comes to the fact that he loves the game and has a passion for it is going to work hard to maximize his abilities. And on some level, that's all you can ask for. You know, the rest takes care of itself. That's interesting that you bring up kind of the similarities and differences between him and Dame. Like, I, I, I kind of get what you're saying as far as, like, they, you know, they both kind of have that approach. But to me, like, their personalities, at least, you know, I know Dame obviously quite well because I've been covering the team for years, and I don't really know Scoot that well at all yet outside of you know press conferences and the little what little time I've been able to get with him since the draft but they they do have kind of different like I think I think at their core they seem like they're about the same things but their energies are like very different maybe it's just because now you know now Dame is you know at the point that he's at in his career and he's a lot more like matter of fact about stuff whereas Scoot I've said this before he's not he doesn't say as many outrageous stuff things as like in like crazy like quotable things as anthony edwards does but their energies are similar to me hmm. i don't know if that's a sense you've got uh, yeah i mean i think um the way they might uh conduct themselves on the court and also just physique yeah. um scoot and and anthony edwards uh i, I think that's a, a interesting comp um just in terms of just the, the basic outline um but yeah, personality-wise, yeah, I mean that's look, what I'm know, talking about. I'm yeah, not Dame, as players, but personality-wise, Dame, yeah, Dame, Dame has always been very uh, 
uh, chatty and, and great with the media and fans because he's this outgoing personality. Scoot is not that outgoing. He's, he's, he's a little bit more reserved. I think it takes him a little bit more time to kind of get warmed up and comfortable. Um, and, you know, so I, I, would, I would not compare Dame and Scoot's personalities, especially on day one, like give Scoot right. some time to get acclimated to this, this, this searing spotlight. Um, but where I, where I would draw the comparison for the sake of, again, the fan base is in the same way that they really appreciated how Dame was all about the right things, mm-hmm. Scoot's all about the right things. And I don't think he's ever going to disappoint them on, on that level, right? Like, he's, he seems like the consummate teammate, consummate, uh, you know, guy who wants to be coached um, and who's, who's going to, you know, bring everything he's got every night. And, and so that's the part where I think there's a parallel with Dame because Dame was you, – you, you never questioned his basketball values. Right. I mean, one thing I've loved about Scoot, you know, I, I, you know since he got drafted here, I started following him on – social media and like he posts on his instagram story all the time and all of his posts are like some guys post like their own highlights and stuff you know you see guys like post like their own stuff all i ever see scoot post is like his summer like like he was posting like during the uh during like the earlier rounds of the fiba world cup he was posting like uh dwap reith who's this australian kid who was on the blazer summer league team he was playing on the australian team he was posting like his australia highlights and like he's posting like different like his former g league ignite teammates he's just like posting dyson daniels stuff or like maybe like kids he went to high school with who are football prospects now he's like posting their stuff like all he posts is other people's stuff like he seems like he's more about hyping up like his teammates and his friends and stuff than he is about like you know the look at me like i'm just gonna post every one of my own highlights or every time house of highlights post one of my clips like i i just i enjoy that yeah no i i think i think that um i had, I had not seen that i don't uh spend that much time on instagram but um it doesn't surprise me um I, I think there's there's a humility there and also just a kind of generosity of spirit where I could totally see that he would rather post highlights of teammates and friends than, than of, of himself or, hey, check out my summer workout. Look at me grinding. <laughs> right. I mean, he, he does post some of that. But if, honestly, even like the stuff about himself that he's that he's posted is more just, you know, about the the uh, ODD festival that he kind of he put on this. I, I don't really know too much about it, but like. It's kind of related to the next play 360 thing, the the camp that his family runs. It's also a STEM lab that you talk about. But he had like this convention that he had in Georgia maybe a couple weeks ago where it's like, you know, some of it was basketball stuff, but he also was like, I want to spotlight like local artists and local creators in Georgia and just like have, you know, give them a platform. It seems like he is really about all that stuff. I think that's going to play well in Portland too once his family gets like settled here. Yeah, for sure. And you're going to see all of them, by the way, like there's okay. you, you like that. It's a it's a big family. They they and they are, again, very tight knit and very much um, they they uh, you know, I, I don't know how many games they went to uh, when, when he was with the Ignite. But I'm, I'm pretty sure there was a contingent of them at all times. Uh, I fully expect they will have uh, their own cheering section uh, well stocked um, when he starts his his uh, his car- career officially there in Portland. I mean, I, I guess to transition here to, you know, the other thing we have to talk about, because, you know, we've talked about, you know, you talked a little bit about, like, asking him about, you know, the Dame stuff, because that was going on at, that was, like, right in the heat of it at the time, like, after they used the pick, instead of trading it, there was, like, the speculation that he was going to request a trade, and then a few days later, he did, and since then, really, 
I have, I have like not really talked about it that much on the podcast and like in stuff I've written, believe it or not. Like I've covered it when there's been new developments, like the memo the league sent out or the Mark Spears interview or whatever. But for the most part, everything that was true on July 1st, which was Dame wants to be traded to Miami and Joe Cronin is not that interested in the stuff that Miami has to offer. That stuff was true on July 1st. That stuff is true on what is today, September 6th that we're recording this really the like the basic facts of the situation haven't changed and there's been no signs that there's been any movement on any side yeah. towards the situation changing and i mean it could change but like right now i'm operating under the assumption that dame is going to be a member of the portland trailblazers when training camp opens in a few weeks so i'm very interested to see how like how do you think it like how, how do you see that playing out I mean, uh, the um, this is it's gonna be like uh, the the just week of profound awkwardness through yeah. the NBA if James Harden is in Philly on opening or you know whatever media day or opening day of training camp, right. and Damian Lillard is in Portland. Um, I, I just I don't. It's rare enough that we have even one of these <laughs> ever, <laughs> uh, much less two simultaneously, one for each coast. Um, I don't, dude, I have no idea. I, 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 I could not even hazard a guess as to what we're going to see three weeks, three and a half weeks, whatever it is from now. Right. Um, or whether it will somehow magically resolve by then. Um, the only prediction I will make is okay. this. Okay. If Damian Lillard has not been traded by the time camp opens, mm-hmm. if James Harden has not been traded by the time training camp opens, they're going to be in their respective camps with their respective teams uh, uh, bathing in their respective awkwardness that they have created for themselves. Um, that's the reality. The yeah. reality is if you are under contract in this league, you can't just sit at home unless the team decides to give you permission to while they're working something out because they think it's imminent. And if it's not imminent, they're not going to give you permission. And if you stay out without permission, then they have every right legally and otherwise to dock your pay and they will and like go ask ben simmons right right um ben simmons by the way the first person in the 20 uh, this is going into my 27th season now ben simmons is the only one i know of who under contract just decided eh, i'm just not showing up take take my pay we'll I'll, I'll figure it out later we'll we'll file a grievance we'll come to some kind of agreement and i think they came to some kind of agreement but he still lost millions um the beauty of being an NBA player in 2023 is that, especially if you're at Damian Lillard or James Harden's level, you have made such an incredible amount of wealth that sacrificing five, 10 million, if it came to it, I mean, it still matters, but it doesn't matter nearly as much when you've already got enough to set yourself and several generations up for, for a long time. Um, so they can afford to if they want to. So I, I guess I shouldn't be that definitive about them holding out, but I'm, I'm pretty sure they're not holding out. I'm pretty sure they're not going to sacrifice the millions. Um, they may not well, Harden like is it. such a wild card. I can, I can say pretty confidently as somebody who knows Dame pretty well, I don't see him doing that. Like, that's not yeah. who he is. That's, that's just, well, it's so counter to his entire... He, and I've been saying this yeah. since, you know, from the beginning of this whole thing. He's, he still cares a lot about protecting his image and his reputation, and I don't think he's going to go that route. Yeah, and listen, I'll take that one step further. I think that he and James Harden, I don't even, I don't even view them the same with with regard to that. Would James Harden like we've already seen James Harden 
in Houston, basically tank a few weeks of, of camp slash games and, and, and act up and do all kinds of stuff to make it really uncomfortable for the Rockets. I mean, I, that I would say just flat out, by definition, was unprofessional behavior. Yes. Damian Lillard is not capable of any of that. And I mean that as, as the highest of compliments. And I it's agree. the reason why a lot of the noise coming out of his camp earlier in the summer felt a little hollow to me. Because Damian Lillard is not James Harden. Damian Lillard's not going to just screw around and go to the clubs and show up out of shape and 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 uh, sleepwalk through games for the you purpose You saw that, of- Mark, the one time he's commented on this publicly was the Mark Spears interview he did like a week or two ago. And he basically said, like, he confirmed that he requested a trade, but he was like, I'm not going to comment on it. He yeah. could have easily done you know done what james harden did in china where he got on a microphone and was like daryl morey is a lie like dame could have done that if he wanted to he chose not to he he's uh, we you 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 and your listeners know better than anyone he's a consummate professional and he does things the right way and he's respectful of, of people and of the process um i i don't think he's he's just not wired to make this a mess and I, I, I think we should respect that and honor that as opposed to saying that's somehow a detriment because it won't get him where he wants to go right. sooner than later. You know what I mean? And that's the thing. It's like it's hard. You know, uh, I'm going to uh, uh, date myself, but like the old Howard Jones song, no one, else, no one ever is to blame. Like, like I don't blame Damian Lillard for asking out when he did. Um, maybe he should have sooner. I don't blame the Blazers for wanting the best possible return package, but maybe they should have tried to trade him sooner or chosen a different path. We could get into that if you want. I'm sure you're exhausted of it. Um, <laughs> I don't blame the Miami Heat for, um, you know, making the offers they have, waiting as long as they have to, to, to have this happen, um, holding out hope that it still will happen or having a strong belief that it still will happen. I don't blame anybody for the positions they're in. Everyone's doing what they're supposed to do. Damian Lillard at this point in his career has every right to act in his own best interests, especially given that the Blazers have taken a path that very, very clearly is not, not about trying to win at a high right. level in the totally. present. Um, and they telegraphed that even a year ago when they could have traded the lottery pick and, and instead took, took uh, Shaden Sharp. Shaden Sharp yeah. So um, they have telegraphed this for some time. So, I, and, and again, I don't blame them for wanting to protect their future, but I, I've, I've said many times in, in the last year or so, I feel like they've been straddling the fence in a way that was not um, not productive and, and not wise and certainly not with Dame Lillard's best interests in mind. You can't straddle the fence on the present and future that way. I didn't even like it when, when the Warriors were doing it with their two-timeline plan that they have now since abandoned. Um, it's really hard to pull off. And you, if you have a player of Steph, Cal- uh, of Steph Curry's caliber, of Damian Lillard's caliber, of LeBron James's caliber, I'm not saying they're all at the same level, but these are all-time players. When right. you have a player of that level, you are obligated to be all-in at all times. The, play- the Blazers chose a different path, which put them in this position, which pushed Dame to make the decision that he, did, that he made. But I don't blame the Blazers now being in this position for demanding the best possible return package. And if they... Like we, it's funny the way we debate all these things. Oh, of course, what the Heat is offering is enough. No, it's not enough. It, it, it's not really for us to decide. Like, the market is the market, and each team has to decide what their best player is ultimately worth. And if the Blazers have decided that Tyler Hero plus a couple of picks plus Jovic or or Hakez or whoever is not enough, well, that that's their right. That's their right to get the best possible return. And if they are convinced that's not the best possible return. I don't blame them for trying to, uh, you know, gin up the market a little bit more 
and see if somebody will take a swing. And I get it. I know. Dame has already made it clear through various channels that he's not going to be happy anywhere else. But again, and by the way, I have no issue with you're talking about like everybody's position is understandable. I, you know, if I even if I were, you know, the Blazers, like it's annoying, but I would I have no issue with Aaron Goodwin, you know, doing what he did earlier this summer, giving those interviews saying he only wants to play in Miami because when you're an agent, your job is to get your guy where your guy wants to go. He yeah. was maybe I think it I think it didn't land because, you know, like we talked about trying to be like, oh, well, Dame won't show up if, you know, he goes traded somewhere else. Every Because Dame is who he is, everybody was just like, yeah, okay, dude, for sure. Yeah. Nobody, <laughs> but, but I even like every, like, I understand why they're, why they're uh, doing that. Also, I'll, I'll put it this way. Uh, when they moved up to three in the lottery, they had the fifth odds and ju really just kind of the assumption since the end of the season, because of uh, the comments that Joe Cronin made at uh, his end of season press conference and at his trade deadline press conference, which I have said and written were a bit of a misstep for him as far as public messaging. He basically telegraphed that, you know, we're going to go all in. We're going to push all our chips in. We're going to do everything we can do to build a winner around Dame. And my assumption from that point forward was unless the pick became number one because nobody's trading Victor Wembanyama. And by the way, Dame would have been totally happy if the Bladers had gotten the number one pick and drafted Wemby. He would have been into that. I know that pretty solidly. But as soon as Joe said that stuff at the end of the season and at the, after the deadline, my assumption was that unless the pick was number one, they were going to trade the pick. And I think that was the assumption of a lot of people around the league. It was that whoever shook free of, like, the Mikel Bridges, Pascal Siakam, Jalen Brown, like, whoever in that kind of tier of, like, second guy that they could have gotten for Dame with that pick was going to be the direction that they went. And they decided not to because I think once the pick moved up to three and they saw, you know, oh, you know, we could get Scoot and we could get Scoot on a rookie-scale contract, I think at that point they – valued the pick so highly that they were just like nothing that we could get on the trade market is going to be as valuable as this pick and what i've been saying since the trade request is that if they valued the number three pick that highly that they wouldn't trade it for you know any of those guys i named how do you think they're valuing damian lillard on the trade market like yeah. they wouldn't trade the third pick for somebody that like that but they're going to trade dame for you know what has been reported as the miami package like that yeah. those two things don't really add up Calculus could be different on those two decisions, but I see what you're saying. Uh -huh. um, I, I just looked at it all along as, you know, if you wanted to, uh, you know, pivot toward the future, fine. Proactively decide to trade Damian Lillard. They didn't do that. If you want to be all in on the present with Damian Lillard, fine. Trade last year's pick, trade this year's pick, you know, you know do everything possible. Trade your youth, trade Anthony Simons, whatever. But they, they didn't. They didn't choose either path. They chose they chose this this middle path of, of, of straddling a fence, and this is where it landed them. So like I that's the one thing where it's like you know yeah no one's to blame but they I but as an organization, they are to blame for putting themselves in this position by never right. truly picking a viable path. They picked a middle road that was never going to be, uh, you know, realistic. And so so this is where they are. And look, Dame is under contract for what is it four years. Three Left. plus the player option, but the, it's right. a sixty million. It's a sixty-three million dollar yeah. player option when he's thirty-seven. He's, so he's yeah, under he's contract not, for four years. Exactly. Yeah. Some some player options are not really options. They're not turning that down. Right. So he's under contract for four years, and and again, he's wired the way he is. If I'm the Trailblazers, I would have, I would still be operating under the belief that if a team is is willing to trade for him and and has a trade package that exceeds Miami's, 
then you should make that deal. Like, I don't think they're obligated to send him to Miami just because he wants to go there, um, especially when he's under contract for as long as he is. And so that, that part is, is where I diverge a little bit from, you know, what Dame or his camp is trying to put out. Like, you know, the contracts are, are still supposed to mean something in this league. Right. Um, and, you know, once you sign the contract, being traded or the, the vulnerability to being traded just goes with it. That's just, that's just how it is. Um, that's the system. If you don't like that system, then, you know, in collective bargaining, you try to change that system and say that there's no such thing as trades anymore or no trades without permission of the player in all cases. Everybody has a no trade clause. But that's not the system. The system is one where the contract is not really about that team. It's a contract with an NBA team to pay you X amount, but that whole, th- that whole agreement can be transferred to one of the other 29 teams, and then they're obligated to pay you amount. They're not obligated to keep you. They're only obligated to pay you for your services, and you're obligated to provide those services. And so at the most basic level, the Trailblazers should be able to take advantage of a real market where, if not 29 teams, at least a half dozen or something who could use Dame to get closer to a title should be able to be in the running and be bidding against each other. And I think what's unfortunate about the tack that, that Dame and his camp took is it made it harder to trade him because it, it strangled the market. And I would have said that I've said the same thing, not just that I would have said the same thing. I've said the same thing in, in many uh, cases like this. Kyrie forcing his way out of Cleveland, um, Anthony Davis forcing his way out of New Orleans. Um, but at least in those cases, like when Anthony Davis says, I want out and I only want to go to one team, the Lakers. Well, he was on a expiring deal by that point or he he was when he first started making noise and when he got fined or maybe right. Rich Paul got fined it was it was the the, the prior it, half season but it wasn't still, four years by the time he got traded he was down to his last year and when you're Paul George wanting to leave Indiana whether you're Kawhi wanting to leave San Antonio the guys who are one year out that you can just classify that as courtesy I'm going right. to leave as a free agent anyway trade me now and get something of value back for me when you constrict the market by saying, I only want to go to one place, it makes it very difficult. Now, that said, the Pelicans still got everything <laughs> and more out right. of the, the Lakers in that negotiation. Um, but in most cases, you really strangle the market. When it's a one-year deal, you can do that because you're a flight risk. Damian Lillard's not a flight risk, and he's not a holdout risk. So would he be upset if he landed in, I don't know, I don't even want to let, throw out, uh, you know, hypotheticals. But I have a few in mind that we're not going to get into on the yeah, air because it's going to get aggregated. But yeah. Yeah. But all right. He wouldn't be that happy. But is he going to report? I, I think you and I would agree. Like, of course, he's going to report. And then he'll he'll make the best of it. But, but And he'll those... talk himself into it as a good basketball situation like Donovan right. Mitchell did last year with Cleveland when he wanted to go to New York. Exactly. There's another great example. Thank you. You know, that that's not where Dan, Donovan Mitchell set out to be either. Um, but... You know, it, 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 it takes a team that is confident enough in who they are that they'll make the deal knowing that there's going to be backlash from his representation, that there's going to be backlash maybe from Damien himself quietly behind the scenes because that's the way he'll do it. But he's going to show up. And if you didn't give up too much to get him and you've got great players still there and you give him the path to title contention, I think he'd probably get over it pretty quickly. So, um, you know, uh, all that said, there are a lot of people around the league who've been telling me for months, stop trying to talk yourself into something else. He's going to end up in Miami one way or another. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, Were you, what year did you move from uh, L.A. to New York? Uh, 2004. 
Okay, so you weren't there for the 07 Kobe trade request. No, I covered it from a distance for the New York Times, but But you were I there for the not... Shaq. You were there for the Shaq stuff though, right? <laughs> Shaq's trade demand after they lost to the Pistons in 2004, um, Shaq made that demand uh, on a conference call. Like he made it public on a conference call with me, Tim Brown from the LA Times, and I think Brad Turner. Um, and I think Brad was at the Riverside Press Enterprise then, I'm pretty sure. Um, I remember sitting in the parking lot in El Segundo, where the Lakers practice facility was, sitting in their parking lot on a curb. This is pre, like, I've got a, like a Nokia brick phone. I've got nothing on the phone that can tape a call. So I'm cradling it on my shoulder, scribbling furiously on my little reporter notepad, trying to get all Shaq's quotes down as he's telling me and Tim and Brad, I've, I'm demanding a trade today uh, from the Lakers. Uh, and then, yeah, a few weeks later, he's traded to the Heat for uh, the Lamar Odom, Karan Butler, Brian right. Grant package. But you weren't there for the Kobe stuff. No, no, and that that was like that was that was quite a meltdown. That was like multiple interviews, radio, TV, whatever. Kobe's like repeating this over and over, and the Lakers, you know, did make some attempts, I think, to to see what the market would be. And by some reports, that it, you know, it was close with this team, it was close with that team, Detroit, Chicago, some others. Um, I never believed he was really going to be traded. Um, and of, of course, they hung on to him, and then you know, half a season later, they trade for Pau Gasol, and you know, the rest is history. Yeah, that's kind of the that that's that's kind of the the if if the market doesn't improve, that's kind of been something I've, I've thrown out there as something that might happen in in the maybe, obviously not to the same degree because Dame is not Kobe, but like it's it remember I, the one that I remember is you know they they had a deal with the Bulls, and Kobe had a no trade clause. And he used the no trade clause to veto the trade because Luol Deng was going to come back in the trade. And Kobe was like, no, if I'm going to Chicago, I want to play with Luol Deng. And so he vetoed the trade, and eventually the Lakers were like... I mean, honestly, like the one that I could kind of see this more going like is the Durant one from last summer where he asked for a trade. It was pretty clear. He didn't like come out and say one team and one team only like Dame's people have been doing. But it was pretty well known to everybody that he wanted to go to Phoenix. Yeah. And the Nets... You know, they did ask around. They did test the market, but they came to him eventually and were like, look, dude, we didn't find a deal we like. You're under contract for four years, you know. What are, you, what are we going to do? And so then they decided to give it another go for, like, another half season. Now, I don't know if that's going to work out the same way here if that happened because, like you said, like, they have clearly chosen the path of, uh, you know, they drafted Scoot. They have him and Shaden Sharp as, like, the new guy they're building around. Like, it's clearly not, like, a situation where Dame is going to look at this and say, well, you know, if I ride this out, you know, we could be title contenders. Like, I don't think they're anything close to title contenders with him or without him. But I don't I don't think so, but I, I guess there's some fantasy scenario here where they get off to, like, you know, a 12-2 and two start and everybody's rolling and they're having a good time and, and, you know, Sharp has taken a leap and Simons has taken a leap and Scoot is, you know you know uh, you know even better than expected on day one and you know look you and i both know like rookies don't usually win in this league young no, teams don't. don't win in this league i've been um, that's what i i've been doing this this whole summer trying to you know obviously my a lot of my audience and my readers and my listeners have been like super excited about the scoot and shade and stuff and i was like look i think scoot's gonna be awesome but like i can remember three point guards or four i guess four the four that like in the time that I've been, like, cognizantly, like, following the NBA and, you know, to a lesser extent covering it, which is a shorter time than that, but, like, when it comes to, like, rookie point guards that were drafted that high, the four that I can think of that were impact-winning players right away, like, from year one, 
are Chris Paul, Derek Rose, Luka Doncic, and John Moran. Like, that's a pretty short list. And so, like, I think Scoot's going to be awesome, but, like, it might not, it might be, like, until year two that he's, you know, what people expect him to be. And it depends on your supporting cast, too, right? Or your, yeah. your I should say, surrounding cast in this case. Um, when you're a rookie, I don't know if it's, uh, if it's uh, accurate to say supporting cast quite yet. You're not the star yet. Right. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it, it, look, Derek Rose came onto a Bulls team that was stacked, you know, not stacked with superstars, but, like, Jokin Noah, Lawal Dang, Taj Gibson, you know, uh, like, they were really good players. Um, ben Gordon. Ben Gordon. Like, they were, they were really good established players. And um, if Dame were going to be there, and putting aside for a moment whether Dame and Scoot, you know, how well they fit and all that stuff, is there an interesting combination there of like of, of younger and older with you know the, the Jeremy Grants and Nurkic's and Dames on one end and then Shaden Sharp and Scoot at the other end and Simon like yeah I mean I, I think you could talk yourself into it but I think you could only talk yourself into it if Dame were maybe three years younger and not with a trade request on the table so um, you know that the, the any scenarios of that or, or hopes for that I think have, have passed and again in a different universe where maybe dame has already won a title say and is willing to like you know like like dirk did say like you know what i just i i want to be here for the rest of my career and retire with the team that drafted me um then you might have a different dynamic and in play but that's not that's just not the case here so um i do the durant analogy is interesting um you know durant rescinds his trade request he, he comes to camp with the nets um they have their ups and downs, and eventually they got in a real role, and then, you know, Kyrie, Kyrie blows it up, right? did what right? Kyrie did, yeah. Durant, Kevin Durant may never have re, re, uh, uh, reinitiated his trade request, if not for the fact that Kyrie bailed. And at that point, it's like, well, then what am I doing here by myself? So, um, you know, Lillard's motivations and the circumstances are much different than what Durant had in, in Brooklyn, but I do, I think you're right that there is a scenario here where it's put it aside for the time being, everybody decides to just, you know, play nice and, and let things take their course. And, you know, we see this every year, every year like clockwork in the NBA, you get two, three weeks into the NBA season, and there's a couple teams that are really surprising because they're way better than we thought they'd be, and a few that are surprising because they're not nearly as good as we or they thought they would be. And it changes the dynamics of the trade market. It changes what people are willing to put on the table. Um, and look, if the, if, the, if the Blazers have decided that there's no combination of heat assets that's going to work, the upside is still, or the potential for change is still, that somebody else who's not, the, who, who's not currently operating as the third team in, the facilitator team, or the third and the fourth teams, maybe those are the teams that, ooh, crap, we got off to a really bad start in October, November, and it's time to completely reassess. Maybe though, because that's what you really need, right? If, if the Heat cannot possibly do this in a two-way deal by the, by the Blazers' estimation, then the way through this is that third team. And maybe it says like, oh, let's go get Tyler Hero and give up some stuff. Sure, or something. Right. Yeah, like, you know, maybe, maybe a team uh, gets off to, like, let's, let's say a better than expected start, and they're like, you know what? Maybe this is actually the year to be all in. Let's put one more. Let's let's push one more chip out the door. Let's push one pick out the door that gets us hero. Um, and then that pick ends up going to the Blazers. And now now the Blazers have enough picks. That's a, just a hypothetical, right? Sure. I don't know how many picks they need, but um, but but yes, yes, there are scenarios there. I think where 
the clarifying games of the early season might put another team into play that helps this this thing get uh, over the finish line. And we are right back to where we've been all summer talking about this stuff. Uh, it's this is it's I'm I'm so like more you more than usual. I'm just pretty impatient for whether you know however this lands, whether he gets traded before camp or not. I am so impatient for camp to start just so we have new stuff to talk about. I'm sure you feel the same way. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, uh, I, I, I haven't had to be as immersed in the, you know, Dame watch or even Harden watch. Um, so uh, it's, it's more just kind of watching from a safe distance at this point. But yeah, there's a certain point where these things like the, the day a trade demand lands, we all, you know, everybody starts doing their emergency podcasts and we oh, yeah. start cranking out our takes and, you know, speculating, playing with trade machines, making calls, all that stuff. And then eventually it's like you wake up in September and you're like, oh, man, is this still the thing? Like, can we move on to the next thing? Um, but but yeah, so there's a little of that. But I, I, mean, I don't know. I, I, I'll be more than intrigued just to see what happens in a few weeks if they're both still with their teams. Right. We'll we'll have plenty of uh, plenty of drama either way, because that's the NBA. Yeah. Totally. Do you have, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to put the link to the scoot story from 21 in the, in the show notes, but do you have anything else that you've written recently or that you've got coming up that you want to let people know about? Uh, nothing at the moment. Um, got some, some uh, gears turning on, uh, on what's next uh, for me on, uh, on a bunch of fronts, but uh, can't say quite yet. In the meantime, I'd say just uh, folks can find me on Twitter at Howard Beck. Uh, and I have an authory page, which is author with a Y on the end, authory.com backslash Howard Beck. And everything I've written for uh, GQ Sports the last several months, Sports Illustrated before that, New York Times, Bleacher Report is all on my authory page. So you can go check me out there. And whatever I will be writing and wherever I will be writing uh, in the near future will also be, uh, will, uh, be on the authory page. So. Go, 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 go do that. Hey, Howard, thanks, thanks for doing this. It's always great to talk to you. Appreciate Hopefully it, Sean. We'll thanks. cross paths at some point. You can say Absolutely.